calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. This is Bitches on Comics, where we talk about comics as bitches, by bitches, for bitches. My name is Sarah Century. And I'm Essie Fleenor. question from Sean. I just listened to your fridging episode. Obviously, fridging is gender-based, but how do you think it would change or might change with the inclusion of more LGBTQ plus characters? For instance, do you think they would only fridge women characters' female love interests, or would they also fridge male love interests? Or would they, to no one's surprise, only fridge LGBTQ plus characters, and then still only mostly women? First off, Sean, thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate it. And thank you for this incredibly nuanced question. Yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah, well, you know, depressing AF. Fun, and fun. Depressing. The kind of fun I like to have. <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> she's so sad. So I think that what we can start with is talking a little bit about everybody's favorite trope, bury your gaze. Right. Which is also called dead lesbian syndrome. Bum, bada, bum. So already you can see there's a gendered component. Right. But essentially, bury your gaze is a trope that originates in Victorian novels. Well, you know, you could probably debate. When gay people first showed up in novels. Yes. I was like, <laughs> we could probably talk about other cases as well. But yes, generally when we talk about this trope, we mean specifically something that came out of Victorian era novels. You weren't allowed to create LGBTQ plus characters, but then suddenly you could, but the only way you could is if something fucking tragic happened to them. And they were evil. and Or they were evil. And suffering from a sickness. Yes, exactly. And so the idea was to they are called eccentrics. And what happens is they're trying to couple the ideas of queerness and badness in uh-huh. some sense or another. So the idea is you could be queer, but only if something truly tragic or terrible happened to you. They're anti-normal, right? You're queer, you're anti-normal. Exactly. And Blaming. normalcy is what we want. Well, yeah, especially Victorian era, right? Like that mm-hmm. was name of the game. So I think that it's important to know that that sort of historical root. Mm-hmm. And then it it really just keeps 
being the case, barrier gays and dead lesbian syndrome just keeps going and going and going and going and is still happening today. I mean, last year on a major TV show called The Magicians, where they set themselves up as a show for queer people, for women, they killed off a major character who is bi. Mm-hmm. And they did it in just this like disgusting way. There was just complete disregard for queer experience. And it's frustrating, right? Because especially for shows and programs that really trade on their queer identity and their feminist identity mm-hmm. to then bury their gays is really frustrating. And we can correlate across, like like we talked about a little bit, with dead lesbian syndrome. And Sarah, like tell me a little bit about, you know, not just your thoughts, but like how did that trope like how did you become aware of that trope? Oh, um, because the lesbians always die. <laughs> yeah. So it was basically uh, whenever I was a kid, of course, I think a lot of queer people can relate. Some maybe can't. But I was looking for a lot of media and trying to find myself in these things. And, of course, we know about, you know, subtext and all of that. So I was a big classic film fan. And classic film, contrary to popular belief, does have queer characters in it, right? But as you say, terrible things happen to them. So you have, you know, Dracula's daughter, who is literally a vampire. You know, she's a bad person, and she's feeding on women. She's literally eating them, right? Feeding off of their life essence and all of that kind of stuff. You have this very coded but also implicit understanding of Dracula's daughter. She's wrong, but it's not just because of what we're seeing here. It's because of this other thing that we're not talking about. So that is all over, right? So you have a lot of barrier gays, kind of dead lesbian stuff. For instance, I was so into theater stuff, you know, and just total nerd whenever I was a kid. And, you know, watching stuff like The Fox, in which the lesbian is literally crushed to death by a tree. And just again and again it happens. You have the children's hour where suicide is the way that she deals with having a gay crush. I mean, Buffy. Yeah, Buffy even, yeah. There's so many different manifestations of this over over film, TV, comic books, right? any media, really. And that's why even the characters in The Haunting, you have Theo, right? And Theo's kind of mean and all of that. And she's an artist. You know, it's very— She's like an eccentric oh, artist. Wink, wink. She's an artist. Yeah, but she doesn't die, and I like her a lot. And that was kind of the thing. You start to be able to empathize with these people who are villains whenever you watch this trope play out a lot of times. There's a movie called Young Man with a Horn, which is totally about Lauren Bacall being essentially a lesbian. She's moving to Paris with an artist and is you know over the moon for this artist. They can't say it, and she's obviously villainized for it. She doesn't die, though. So <laughs> the few instances where they don't die it actually really stands out and is kind of a huge deal but we see it but again like, and again it's not like they're happy they just don't die that's amy might have been happy and young man with a horn because okay. she totally like moves out with a artist and kirk douglas ends up on a spiral but anyway she's definitely still the villain right she's considered right. to be shallow she gets her comeuppance right. because he like chews her out and is really disgusted with her and says oh you know you're not normal he says stuff like that to her right well, it's always a cautionary tale is maybe what i was trying to say yeah versus like don't be like her yeah and that's like don't end up dead yeah. Don't end up dead because if you love people who are like you, you're going to end up dead. Yeah. And that threat has been real, not just from gay bashing or 
HIV virus or any number of horrible things, but it's really frightening the way that that trope has played out and how it has impacted the way we think of LGBTQ plus people. I also want to note that there's a difference in the way that, for instance, you know, a trans person or trans lesbian or any of those different gender identities would play out. For instance, a trans woman is almost always predatory in cinema. So that's a totally different thing than, you know, barrier gays or the dead lesbian syndrome. They certainly have a lot of crossover. And the epic violence that is inflicted on trans people in cinema and, you know, in day-to-day life, of course, is its own different conversation in a way, but it's also the same conversation. I just well, want to acknowledge that no, it's a I, different side of I that. I think that's really important. And I think, again, the way that trans folks, the way that we have been particularly vilified, you're absolutely right, is a, is a different nuance. Because lesbians are predatory in these stories as well. Like, I don't want to say that they're not, but there's certainly a difference in the way that it's portrayed because you have that kind of insidious, almost a passive predatory nature for lesbians a lot of times. And then whenever a trans person shows up in cinema, it's like sleepaway camp or something like that. You know, it's yeah. these really violent situations. And I mean, honestly, the thing that surrounds all of these stories is violence and out Absolutely. of proportion level of violence that is always aimed at these characters. And that is across gender identities. It also applies to a lot of male characters, obviously. Absolutely. But it is a little bit different because public perception on different queerness, I guess. Yeah, I think that we were talking about this earlier, Sarah. It's like if you take a Russian nesting doll, right? (laughs) And it's like, okay, so here's bury your gaze. Right. And then you put it in another Russian nesting doll, and that's fridging. Right. And then you can put that in another... Russian nesting doll, which is like transphobia. Uh And it's like, okay, so that would be like a trans lesbian's experience. Sure. Is those things layering one on the other and deeply rooted in a body-based violence, right? There's a certain way that when this violence takes on a gendered component, mm-hmm. whether that's a gender binary component, you know, a cisgender component, a Even- misogynist component any of those layers, it takes a different kind of violent tone. And it's internalized too because you have people like Tennessee Williams who wrote something like Suddenly Last Summer, which is a movie that I love, but it is essentially about a rich, predatory gay man who uses his wealth to procure young people of color overseas where he won't be held accountable for his crimes. And of course, that's never actually spoken, but he's definitely brutally killed in the movie. And, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that was (laughs) released in the 50s, But that's a movie that's so unbelievably problematic. Of course, as a kid, I watched it and I still can watch it and have this interesting kind of connection with it because these are the stories that we're left with, right? So you see me a lot of times being like lesbian vampires. I really relate to lesbian vampires. And of course, as a joke because consent is like a myth in those movies and like that kind of stuff, you know? So it's not great to be relating to these characters, but it's what we're given. So a lot of us end up watching a lot of these movies. I believe a lot of people end up internalizing it in different ways. So you can accept a lot of victimhood in life or you can accept a more predatory stance. Some of us just are like, damn, that was heavy, you know, or something. No, I really agree with you. I think that it matters how we represent. Of course it does. And that's why there's the term representation matters. Yeah. I was talking to a therapist who works with gender nonconforming and trans youth and adults. Mm Mm-hmm. And Z said that when Z was coming out, Z couldn't imagine life beyond 23. And the reality is, I'm getting very emotional, the reality is that many trans people can't. And so we don't have an ability to remember or to imagine a future. 
And that's because every trans character dies. Yeah. And it's unacceptable that that's the reality we live with. And I think that when we talk about these tropes, it's hard. You and I don't always love these episodes. And that's Mm -hmm. why we don't. We had a version of the podcast where we talked about a trope every week. And we were like, oh, my God, my soul can't take it. Yeah. So when we do, it's really important that we break this down. And so I'm just so glad that you asked, Sean. I think the future of these things is uncertain. Mm -hmm. I think when I read Vida Ayala's comics, I feel one way. Yeah. And when I read some other people's, I feel a very frightened yeah. Version. Are they just going to keep letting these different people who don't have a connection to our culture be able to be the ones who completely tell our stories? And have the definitive fucking word on it. Yeah. And that's been repetitive, especially in comics where, once again, we see characters who are queer characters and everybody still loves, like, the straight person's run on them the best and all of that kind of stuff. So queer characters exist in comics now, but most of the time they're still written by straight people, and that's definitely something that has to be acknowledged. It's really good whenever they're not. So you have Xena, you know, and stuff like that. You have these really good comics that exist out there, and of course there's tons of queer people who are out here pushing and making change, but it's an uphill struggle. It's not always easy, you know? It's not always emotionally easy, and it's also not always financially easy. So, you know, every little success, we really do count. But as far as if going forward, having these more LGBTQ characters is going to change things, I would say that people will be making the same mistakes no matter what happens because literally Green Book won the Oscar last year, you know? Like, we see a lot of progression and people change and do things, and there's, you know, way more marginalized voices. And of course, we're seeing a lot of people curve and change and have so much more, you know, for me, just as a queer person, I love to read all queer media. I don't just read lesbian stuff. But as somebody who really is an advocate for queer media and always has been, now is a great time because of course there's things I can read where Martha Doby doesn't go kill herself after she discovers that she has a crush on somebody who might reciprocate and we never find out anything further. And just that unanswered question that is, why didn't she just ask her out? Or like, why didn't she this or that? And I know that not everybody can, but just that whole conversation and those are not the things that ever get to play out, right? We never actually get to see those lived through. We never get to see the old... <laughs> like married, you know, yeah, happy the or non tragic ending. Yeah, any kind of happy ending we don't really have. And if we do, it's always kind of so few and far between. So as far yeah. as if it's going to change, yes, because it is changing because we Absolutely. are changing it physically Absolutely. with our strong wills and, and our, with our damn podcast, our <laughs> great writing and all of the things that we do every day and how much at a certain point it just is them shooting themselves in their foot not to be able to let us tell our own stories but I do think that it will still continue to be a struggle and I do think that we're still gonna see barrier gays for a very long time to come because Absolutely. I don't think that people learn that fast we've been and dealing I don't with think all we of don't... these stereotypes for such a long time exactly and we don't treat LGBTQ folks like we exist before 18 mm-hmm And so there's no LGBTQ history taught in schools. Yeah. It's actively erased. Nobody knows Da Vinci's queer. And this is all important stuff to know. For me, I'm a big history buff and therefore the history of censorship. If you want to understand anything about the history of censorship in the United States of America, you have to know about the black press and you have to know about the queer press. Because otherwise you don't know anything about what's happening. You just know somebody who got mad because they read Ulysses by James Joyce and put him on trial, which is nothing compared to all of this other history of people really having their voices actively pushed down 
And that is continuing to this day. That's not something that just changed all of a sudden. Absolutely not. So my whole idea of it is just, yeah, of course, you know, we're doing great. We're doing everything that we possibly can. As far as will it change going forward, even whenever they didn't do dead lesbian syndrome, it was like North Star is gone from the book for 15 years after he comes out of the closet. He doesn't get a boyfriend or a kiss or anything. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, he's married now and he's happy, so don't worry about it. And then we don't really hear that much about him. So they just keep writing him out of the books that he's a main character in. So the fact that even a main character, a very prominent character like Northstar is continually written out of his own stories and out of our own stories. Even Valkyrie, right? With the Defenders. Valkyrie with the Defenders. As soon as she kisses Annabelle, it's like, oh, turns out this comic's got to end. Yeah, and that story is weird too because they end up inhabiting a body and being kind of abusive to each other, which is very strange. And I want to love that story because I love that moment. You see that kiss between them and you're just like, what? Oh my God, this is going to be the best. But in a way, it still really just actively went to erase ongoing Valkyrie romance stories with a woman and that sucks because we really had to wait until Hollywood started to hint at her queerness before they started to kind of bring that up again and that sucks you know all of these things really suck <laughs> and there are people doing great things and I think of that course. it's this constant tension of like how do we lift up the voices of LGBTQ creators how do we honor the experiences of LGBTQ creators and people and how do we call to account those who aren't who are depicting us in ways that are it's not unfavorable it's like that's fucking fucked up that's transphobia that's biphobia that's queerphobia that's homophobia like what Mm -hmm. you're doing is wrong right but it's hard because it's I wrote an article about fat shaming in the queer community and it broke my heart. Yeah. I was bawling my eyes out for hours just reading these studies about how fat people's lives are going to be shorter not because we're fat but because of the discrimination we face. And it's like, that's what it takes to hold people accountable is we have to expose ourselves to pain yeah, and really say like, I'm going to still do this because it matters, even if it's going to cost me something, mm-hmm. you know? And also like I get paid nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I'm rolling in dough. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's a long uphill battle and it seems like it'll never end. But, you know, death, I, I, I'm like, death comes someday for all <laughs> us. <laughs> death, death comes for us all. And that's Sarah's thing that she says at night before she goes to bed <laughs> to reassure herself. I was going to say, and then I get to start a podcast yeah. with someone that I really respect who is queer, who is making important queer comics, mm-hmm. who is contributing to the voices in the world. Yeah. And it's like, I some days I'm like, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Sure, yeah. And some days I'm like... How lucky am I to be here? And some days I'm like, am I the only person who deserves to live on this planet? And some days I think you're right, Sarah. (laughs) I have some bad days. (laughs) Sarah's the only one that stays. Everybody else goes. You got to go. You, You kicked out. It's fine. I don't know. It's it's like such a bad and long situation. And so questions like this, it's helpful to just take stock of where we're at, I think, Absolutely. because it has been so much change and so little change. And I think that that's one of the biggest problems with us when we talk about social justice. Right now, we're all worried about if we're going to stay alive at all, you know? Oh my so God, right. having these conversations of Oh, yeah. And what's going on with barrier gays these days is kind of like, well, God, you know, it's still here, unfortunately, and it's still thriving. uh, But queer artists are making our own way like we've always had to do. I just feel like we can't finish this segment without talking about the 
reality of the, the 20 black trans women who've been killed this year. Yeah, it's it's October. It's unacceptable. And, and that's the reality we have to live with. And we have to, as white people with privilege, like we have to continue to be working to make this visible and to hold ourselves accountable for the way transphobia and racism in particular show up in our lives. Yeah, and how sometimes uh, you just don't live to get the chance to tell your story. And that's right unbelievably tragic and of course disproportionately affects people it's really upsetting and sad and awful and the horribleness of it is something that sometimes can leave you speechless but it's important that we keep talking absolutely and keep creating I think that you and I talk about this a lot as people who are both creative and culture critics I think that if you do one without the other if you're a person who is creative I think there are people who are just straight up great critics and more power to you I get exhausted by the criticism work because it's so much work of saying, oh, this was good and this part was really awful. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I really liked this comic. If only they hadn't made a fat joke in the third panel. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's like, if only, if only, if only. And then when I create, I get to say like, fuck all of that. In my world, you're queer, you live. I'm sorry. I don't care. There's the ending of every book I ever write. They live because I'm fucking sick of it. I'm sick of everybody dying. Yeah, I hope we see more stories like that going forward. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. of the week is Abbott, written by Saladin Ahmed, illustrated by Sami Cabela, colored by Jason Wordy, and lettered by Jim Campbell. Abbott, created by Saladin Ahmed. Mm-hmm. 
best of list for 2018, pretty much, with great reason. Oh, it earned that spot for sure. Yeah, it really was one of the best things I read last year. I love it so much. It's the story of Elena Abbott. She's a black journalist in Detroit. She's bisexual, which comes up and is super hot. And it's like 1972, I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And she's a reporter, but she kind of gets thrust into this investigative, beyond reporting role, where she's really the only person taking seriously the hate crimes that are happening to black people Mm -hmm. and, and brown people in Detroit. And it starts actually as black people are being blamed for the crimes that are happening against black people. So a horse is killed and then everyone's like, oh, it must be one of those people. In Detroit. Yeah. Oh, those people. And it's Abbott who really invests in making a difference and in finding what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly is revealed as she does that she has this history with the paranormal and supernatural. Right. And so she has not only, you know, this investigative lens, not only this personal stake, but then this other kind of knowledge that no one else has. Mm -hmm. And it's part of why she's marginalized, though, I mean, she's like a black woman, like— Everyone hates her because she's a black woman. In in the publishing world. Yeah, she's at a mainstream 70s. newspaper. Her editor likes her, but she the looks ed- amazing. Oh my <laughs> God. She's such a Betty. She's like always smoking cigarettes and drinking brandy. Yeah. You're just like, okay, I would do Which those things. Every with you. guy got away with during that time. Exactly. But. You know, I think that Ahmed and Kivella do such an amazing job playing with the themes of the 70s, yeah. 70s comics, 70s comics, exploitation colors, films. Exploit- films, and then twisting them, you know, Mm -hmm. twisting them just to make them feminist, to make them queer, to make them... Supernatural. Supernatural. It's really incredible. She also wears, like, an ascot. Her outfits are just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The art in this is so, so good. It feels like something that this artist, I can't imagine... The style is so good for the series. I can't imagine who else would have drawn this. I know that obviously somebody else could have drawn it, and I'd probably feel exactly. (laughs) This was so great, and it fit the series so well, but this was one where, for me, the art and the merger between the story and the art clicked so, so well. And the busy panels, they have so, so much wording. And I believe that he's kind of a wordy writer a lot. You definitely get a lot on his pages. That was true in a lot of his books. I like that. I mean, I grew up on Uncanny X-Men written by Chris Claremont, so you can't get through that without reading (laughs) tons of like purple prose and exposition. But this comic, I think, was really interesting because it's such a dynamic storytelling all of the time. So even whenever she's having these laid back moments, it's in this dynamic memory, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Her love story was really pretty and beautiful oh. and sad. <sighs> Just when there's like the layers of love story. Yeah. You know, there's like the lover that she lost and then there's a lover that is like this badass Asian goddess who of obviously crime. I was obsessed with. Oh. That was I just wanted her to be on every page of course, but oh. I think she is in later issues. We, we're talking really here about volume one. But yeah. beyond volume one, I think she comes back more. Right. Yeah, I mean, she's so fine. And, like, I think a nice antagonist Oh, yeah, great. Abbott. Love it. Love ex-antagonists. Oh, They're so such good, good antagonists. <laughs> Who knows how to press your buttons better? Yeah. And is super loyal. You yeah. know, she shows up for Abbott in the end when— She does. As do, as do lots of people. Yeah. And that's the, the part I like, too. Is, Everybody comes together around her, right? Yeah, they believe her. You yeah. know, like, even though what she's describing and experiencing is what I like to think of as, like, on the edge of your mind. Mm-hmm. Because she's experiencing some horror and, and supernatural 
things yeah. that are hard to wrap your head around. It and the straight me. world doesn't believe her, right? Exactly. All of the people who are in power don't believe her. No, no, no. They're like, oh, this, this one. And I think it's really incredible in the end that everyone rallies around her. Yeah, I like that part a lot, too. It's a nice inversion, again, of those 70s loner cop yeah. you know, comics and stories. Because it really is the community that saves her, you know, in a way. She saves herself, of course. But it's the community and the support and the love around her that becomes clear at the end of the series. After you're, oh, this is the loner, you know. And then at the right. end, you go, oh, we all have... People who care about us, yeah. even though we want to be loners and talk about how we're loners. Oh. It's nice. It's such a nice inversion of that, like, maverick. Like, yeah. I could do it on my own. And and she kind of thinks she has to. I don't yeah. think she wants to, but she feels she has to after some really horrible things happen to people close to her. The one that always sticks out as far as just classic movie monster style is the, you know, body horror centaur to oh, me. Oh, my gosh. That poor, tragic boy, boy um, horse. Yeah. Both of them had terrible times. Yeah. I love that it seems to me at least— a really critical examination of the other ways racism manifests. Yeah. Right, racism looks like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And in this case, in a supernatural setting, why would we presume that there wouldn't be a racialized aspect? Why would we presume that white people wouldn't do horrible things to the bodies of black and brown people? Sure, yeah. Because they can. Right. And it's like, of course they would. Yeah, and of that definitely course. is a main driving point of this story. Not to give away any major aspects of the plot, but yeah. it was beautiful. It's a beautiful comic. It's a great horror comic. It's a great just everything comic, I guess. It has great queer representation, just great diversity in general. It has a lot of different kinds of people. And it, like a lot of exploitation films, we're good about that, you know? having a lot of different kinds of characters. And they all are tied together by, you know, the one main character. Ooh, so good. Abbott. Yeah. Ooh, love love Abbott. And also just loved the series. It's so good. brilliant. A lot of people, again, this is one where you're not going to hear a lot of negative <laughs> reviews about it because it's really difficult to think of something that I didn't like in this comic. A plus. A plus, plus, plus. We grade comics now. And we grade them by pluses. Yep. It's a, the number of pluses you get. Three. Eight, maximum. Eight plus, plus, plus and a half. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I guess Abbott's better than I thought it was even. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a plus, plus, plus and a half. <laughs> If you have questions or bitches on comics, or if you're a comic creator and want to send us copies of your work, please email us at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. Gmail does not like the word bitch, so make sure you leave the I out, otherwise we won't get your email. Remember, there is no I in bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a Patreon, www.patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics, where we have exclusive content. I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at essiefleenor.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can learn more about me at www.sarahcentury.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded and edited by Kate Warner. Learn more about Kate and her band, Churchfire, at churchfiremusic.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. 
We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.